This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. Hello, 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 hello. That's hello from all six of us here in the camper van. Suddenly it's got very, very crowded. Welcome to episode 81 of the Doctor Who Podcast. If you can find a seat, sit down. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. And before we even start talking about the episode that the three of us, or should I say six of us, saw <laughs> last night, Trev, I understand you've been reading the UK press and I've, I've told you about this before, you shouldn't read our newspapers, they're terrible. Well, you see, the thing is I haven't been reading the UK press, that's the problem. And I'm really, really, really annoyed. Now, as a bit of a background to this, apparently one or two of the UK papers on Friday or Thursday released pictures of Matt Smith in his rebel flesh makeup, i.e. the uh, cliffhanger to the episode, basically, in their papers at the end of the week, basically spoiling the episode for anyone who hadn't seen it, i.e. everyone. That might have been all well and good for me, and that wouldn't have got me over here in the colonies all heated up. But then all these unofficial news sources that litter the internet decided oh that'd be a fantastic thing to put on our page so we can drive some hits to our website so here's me merrily strolling along through twitter of all places the the other night via the uh, flipboard application on ipad now now flipboard basically takes your twitter feed and it takes the titles from like twitters and it will also maybe bring in a photo or two from the uh page or text that it's referencing just to make it look like a newspaper so here's me flicking through Flipboard, and suddenly, Rebel Flesh pictures, don't look at them if you don't want to be spoiled. But due to the way Flipboard works, there was right in front of me Matt Smith in his Rebel Flesh makeup. That ruined the entire episode, and, and I unfortunately went into a, a little bit of a meltdown on Facebook and Twitter, <laughs> and, you know, sort of late last week. Um, it goes on a little bit from what Stephen Moffat was talking about recently, about all, all these little news sites that are set up. Um, that don't really seem to have proper respect for what to release and what not to release. Now, for me, this seemed a clear indication of that, you know, discretion might have been the better part of spoilerage, I think. Um, <laughs> I had that episode entirely ruined for me because I sat there for the entire 45 minutes going, right, eventually Matt Smith's going to turn up with the Rebel Flesh makeup on him. Um, it's obviously going to be the, or, or somewhere near the uh, conclusion to the episode. And it ruined it for me quite spectacularly. And, and I am really annoyed at these websites. And only unofficial websites, really, because um, sites like Gallifrey Base and Doctor Who Online, who certainly in Doctor Who Online's case have an unofficial spoiler policy, they just don't put that stuff up. 
and I couldn't see it on Gallifrey Base either, um, they didn't have the pictures up there. It's only these other sites that are trying to get a bit of a toehold and, uh, I don't know, drive uh, traffic their way. Um, yeah. I- irresponsible journalism. Well, I, 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 th- I see your point. It's nice to, to be given a choice. And, and I suppose in a... In, in a backhanded kind of way it's, it's a compliment I mean don't take, don't get me wrong I do understand exactly what you're saying I mean I missed all those pictures so I, I got it full force I mean you can kind of work it out as you're going but part of the journey is to feel clever and to enjoy the journey to enjoy working out and then be proven, proven right um, but yeah so I, I do feel for you in as much as yeah, you, see the, you see the photographs and it's a bit like that regenerating girl at the end you, people put all this work into giving you 45 yes, minutes exactly quite p- p- uh, you know, the production team put a lot of work into giving you 45 minutes of ride of storytelling and it's one of the few places in, in television where you can actually just switch off and, and go back to being seven or eight years old again and enjoy the fantasy yeah you see you, you see the thing is I'm, I'm a pretty savvy internet user I'm not stupid Ooh. so I thought okay I'll, I'll do a bit of net browsing and just general Twitter and Facebook reading before the episode goes out like this was two days before the episode went out I thought I'll be safe there, there might be stuff there but I'd have to actually physically go to somewhere to read yeah. it but no there it was for all to see, and by Friday night my time, the entire episode was ruined, and and that really annoys me. I I think these sites need to be more responsible and more aware of what mediums or what I, I suppose applications people are reading their very generic feeds in. That sure, some feeds might not show the pictures, but certainly stuff like Flipboard, stuff like TweetDeck, all sort of things like that will instantly show you the picture without you having to do anything at all. Well, that's that's the key. And Chip fell foul of exactly the same application. So I'm wondering whether or not we should advise people to avoid Flipboard because I think that seems to be the application no. that's um, no. that's uh, no. Because I mean, I'm, I'm not saying these sites should stop showing spoilers. It's it's what gets people to their sites. It's it's their bread and butter, I suppose. Otherwise, it's a very boring site if all they're just doing is reporting what everyone else is reporting. It's nice to have an exclusive, and I understand that. But they've got to be more savvy and um, smart about the way they're presenting this information. I think they could have still had these pictures available to people who actually physically wanted to see them without being automatically spoiled like... I was, for example. Well, perhaps, but the thing is, I think they're never going to put a spoiler tag on it, Tom, um, purely because they're not supposed to spoil things, and they know that. And I, I mean, I'm in a bit of a weird position here because the episode wasn't spoiled for me at all. I, I like you, Tom. Yeah. All of this completely passed me by, and I'm quite pleased it did. Having said that, I knew how this episode was going to end inside of the first five minutes. Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're right. You want to go for the ride, but um, rather than absolutely be certain that you're going to see a duplicate Doctor at the end. But of course, if you'd listened to Tom about a year or so ago, yep. you'd have been able to predict the ending to this episode anyway. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say, I, I don't want to say I told you so, but I have indeed prepared an I was right dance <laughs> well I, I think you could be right I still think it needs to be borne out and uh, I'm sure we'll get into this in a, in a little while but I don't think we've seen any conclusive answer as to why there's uh, either two doctors or as to why the first doctor got shot at the end of episode one no, but, uh, this, but let's see this week has made me really I suppose sympathize with Stephen Moffat's views that he, he seems to be um, sick of all these little tin pot news pages that seem to spring up every five minutes that all want their toehold on the internet with Doctor Who fans that all want to be popular and you know they're, they're not journalists they're just fans for the most part and they don't seem to understand the proper way to present information so people don't get a story 
ruined, and it was ruined for me. Well, do you know, I, I had shades of that a couple of years ago at, uh, with The Last of the Time Lords. Um, I think because I think it was the, we should really concentrate on talking about this episode. But very briefly, um, there, there was a shot in the Sun newspaper of the Dobby Doctor. Uh, in that little cage being looked at by the master and I looked at it and out of context I thought what the uh, what the hell is this I, d- I don't understand what it is but it ruined the whole episode because I was just I was, my brain was at, well you know what the human brain is like it wants to make order out of chaos and having that little bit of information all the way through it I was like where's this, where does this fit into it and it just ruined the whole episode um, but I've got to say like James I was lucky enough to avoid that this week um, and so enjoyed the episode full force but well shall we talk about shall we, shall we talk about it Please! You're not in your harness. I'm sorry, Doctor. You were right. You've lost all power to the factory. Doctor, I abandoned my team. Then let's go get them. How long would you say we were unconscious for, Cleves? Not long. Minute, two minutes. I'd have we've been out a teensy bit longer. Well, how long? An hour. I've seen whole worlds turned inside out in an hour. A lot can go wrong in an hour. Right, okay, so the rebel flesh. Do you know what? This is it i mean after six and a bit years not that doctor who hasn't been brilliant i've, I've enjoyed every but nearly every moment of it but this week was the bit when the doctor who that i know and love came back to my screen that's what doctor who looks like the, it was beautiful fantastic brilliant dark scary all trevor i was watching this and i was thinking but that's the doctor that trev talks about that's the man of action that's the man taking charge <laughs> i love this i love the shots of the of, of the of the island which reminded me of the sea devils i love mm-hmm. the sky burning and blowing uh, burning and boiling away better than it did in the in the, uh, in the poison sky i love the characters i love the darkness i love the Doctor, I loved Rory. Oh, wasn't he amazing? I loved being scared. That's right, actually scared and being made to jump by special effects in a Doctor Who show for the first time in years. It was brilliant. There. I liked it. Tom, we've told you about this before. This sitting on the fence simply won't do. But do you know what? Everything was there. I, I, the out, from the moment it kicked off, the out-of-control TARDIS, like it was Tom Baker, the, melt, uh, the melting people. Um, I loved the themes of uh, slavery. I like the themes of disregard. I like. I love the theme of individuality. I love the theme that's going all the way through this uh, through this season of the pain making you stronger and multiplicity and being and existing in more than one way. Oh, just I, I got, I, sorry. Look, James, take over. I have to go and have a lie down. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not <laughs> sure if I can follow that up with such a um, euphoric and interesting summary. Um, I really liked this episode. I thought it was very very strong and. Mm. Uh, it felt very, very traditional Doctor Who to me. Um, I did have some problems with it, and I did have some kind of points throughout watching the episode where I thought, oh, I can see where the influence for that came from. And if I just say Avatar, The Matrix, and Blade Runner, I think we've probably summarised all of the setup for this episode in those, well, yeah. in those three movie titles. Um, having said that, it didn't bother me in the slightest. It didn't take me hugely out of the story, when uh, when you see these characters strapped to the frames, for instance, which are very, very Matrix looking. Mm. I think the thing that really helped was the, the setting in the castle. Yep. And I'm not sure where this was filmed. Do either of you know what location that was? Uh, Carefully Castle. It's Wales, isn't it? Yeah, yep. That's somewhere in Wales. I, I just thought the location and the, the, the dark medieval mixed with the futuristic technology worked really well. And I think it created... A really interesting atmosphere. Mm. Um, I, I thought it was a bit interesting again being set in a 22nd century and this was like in the very first scene really where the characters walked through into the big room where you've got the vat of um, flesh, flesh or yeah, whatever yeah. it's called or and they said yeah. lights 
Mm. Now, I don't know about you two, but when I walk into my office at work now, in the 21st century, the lights just come on. So I thought that was quite retrograde technology, really. (laughs) But uh, made me smile. I thought also all of the phasing gangers looked very much like a character from Deep Space Nine. And I don't know what his name is because I don't watch Deep Space Nine very much. Oda, yeah. Thank you. Yes, he's the the security officer, I think. Yes. Mm. Um, And I wondered whether or not that was based on, um, on on the character from DS9. I thought the story was relatively straightforward, which is not a criticism. I think, you know, you just hop on at the beginning and you just ride with it until the, well, for the next 42 minutes or so. And uh, again, as we seem to talk about every episode now, um, I didn't look at my watch. <laughs> again, it was, you know, watches were very, very superfluous. It, it went very quickly, so it didn't bore me. Um Another anachronism I felt was was the record player. It, it, it's it's hard enough to find a record player these days. Um, you know, again in the twenty first century, and yet there was one in a castle playing Dusty Springfield. Yeah, but it, it, um, it, it'll, it'll be something that's tremendously valuable to the guy it belongs to. You know. Yes, yes, quite possibly, and uh, I'm quite happy to, to 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 go with that view. Um, I, I thought the doctor knows exactly what he's doing uh, oh, yes. in terms of creating a doppelganger. This wasn't a mistake by him. Uh, I think there's a number of pointers here uh, that indicate the Doctor is behind these events. Uh, he wanted there to be a duplicate Doctor for reasons that we don't know yet. And perhaps it ties in with wanting to get rid of Amy and Rory at the beginning of the episode. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see whether that's got any um any further story to be played out really yeah and i have a kooky theory but i will do that later on um because i'm quite proud of this one and i have a feeling it might be right uh, so we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll wait and see but uh yes i got the sea devils feel to it as well but no other real classic who jumped out at me uh, uh watching this episode with um Again, the only one it seemed kind of similar to was the Silurian two-parter last year. But yes, that's, that summarises it for me. Um, I, I did enjoy it. It's a strong episode, and there's a lot more to this episode than I think is, is immediately obvious on first watching. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree Ooh. with that. Uh, there's a couple of things I, wanted to pick, I want to pick up with you later on, but sorry, I'm interrupting. Trev, fire away. Sorry, man. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, to inform you, but... Um... I really like this too. Uh, yes! I really, really like it. I, I was so afraid it, it was going to have a Curse of the Black Spot vibe that it was going to be a filler episode. But I think it, it was so confidently done that it, it was just, it, it rose above what, in my opinion, Curse of the Black Spot was a, was a very filler episode. Um, I'm, I'm going to go reference crazy as well. And it's interesting, Tom, you mentioned Sea Devils. Uh, Silurians type of vibe because I got a very Hungry Earth type of vibe yeah. to yeah. it and more so that it's it's the modern series doing a, a story that's very classic vibed and that's the, the same sort of feeling I got last mm. year when they did Hungry Earth in fact even so much to think I was sitting there watching Rebel Flesh and, I, and occasionally I was just going slow down guys slow down this story needs to be slower yeah. you've got two parts to do what you need to do stop rushing around and trying to achieve everything in 45 minutes yeah. because I, I thought this story was really interesting because it raised a lot of fascinating issues. Um, you know, from the the main thing for me, I just kept thinking of was something that's a, almost a sci-fi cliche. Every single sci-fi series has done it. Every single sci-fi author has done it. The the concept of sentience. What is sentience? What is alive? Um, and and I think this episode covered that a lot. Um, were the doppelgangers real? 
beings that were, you know, mm. worthy of living or were they just copies that can be disposed? At what point does a copy become something that is worthy of um, continued self-independent existence? You know, the whole idea of sentience. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, I <coughs> will mention another classic series story that I, I got a really strong vibe for. Um, I got the feeling in Rebel Flesh about the weariness of immortality. And, and I got that in the first five minutes with them sort of being very blasé about, you know, the death of the comrade and, you know, they can just shuffle out another body. And it was an identical copy to what they were. I got a very underworld feel yeah. for this because in that we've got the minions that are constantly regenerating, not into a new uh, body, but into the same body all over again, starting the whole thing from scratch all over again for thousands, tens of thousands of years. Mm. I really got an underworld feel for this one, and, and, and that, despite the fact it was an underworld reference, uh, really made me enjoy um, this story a lot more. Yeah. I'm with you, Tom. Rory was fantastic in this. Um, you know, the way he showed compassion for that uh, uh, woman who, yeah, who yeah. was having problems when he went down to the bathroom with, basically. Jenny. Yeah, um, yeah Jenny. Jenny. Um, she was absolutely fantastic, and, and Rory was really, really good. And also the way Rory leapt on the commander or whatever her name was and um, dismantled yeah. her, you know, sort of cattle prod thing. Um, I, I thought that was an incredibly Ian Chesterton moment for yes. him. Re really, really strong male companion feel. The, the, there was just so much to enjoy about this. And it, it, it's quite weird because I was really expecting it to be a disposable standalone episode like Curse of the Black Spot was. Well, you know, I think you're right. I mean, one of the feelings I get about um, two-parters for the new series is that they're very much like six-parters from the classic series. Uh, and as much as you've got the 45 minutes of storytelling and exposition and there's enough happening, but, but, but you've got that thing which always I loved about Doctor Who when I was a child, the cliffhanger at the end. And you know you'll, you'll, you'll be on tender hooks mm, for another seven days mm. waiting, for, waiting for the resolution. Even if it seems obvious or it's throwaway when it comes, it's nice to be drawn back towards the show. It's, it's, it's a lovely thing. Um, I mean, Trev, you've already answered this question in your, um, in your opening statements uh, within this podcast, but, but Tom, were you able to predict the cliffhanger inside of a very short space of time from the uh, episode starting um i was able to predict the cliffhanger in december this year which i think i did <laughs> <laughs> <Show off. laughs> well you i think you're able to predict that there was going to be a duplicate doctor mm. but were you actually able to think well this is how the episode's going to end or did you strongly suspect it was uh, held yes, as soon as it, going to end as soon as it got to be gangers and as soon as it got to be and as soon as he stuck his hand over the flesh it's like that's it um, and so, I, and, and I was absolutely transfixed. I mean, going back to the Stephen Moffat story, half the joke, half, half the joy of a joke is you know what you know roughly what the punchline is going to be, and it's a fu it's funny anyway. And that's how I felt about this. I thought, right, this is definitely going to happen. Stephen Moffat, show me how inventive and clever and original and spontaneous you are in your writing. And he didn't disappoint in any way, shape, or form. Um, well, the other, yeah. I, the, the other thing which I, I, which as I'm listening to you both, it just sprung to mind is that the costumes for um, the workers. Which is another slight, another little thing. I love that the future is dirty and doesn't work, and there are still um, uh, there are still adverts for "Have you been injured in an accident that wasn't your fault?" Um, I love I love that the future is a bit Ridley Scott, but the costumes reminded me a lot of the Horns of Nymon. Do you remember the, um, the what the uh, 
Oh my! Goodness. <laughs> I hadn't even given it a moment's thought, but yes, I, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> cool. Underworld and Horns of Diamon referenced in one podcast. Oh, my God, oh, well. the only way is up from here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Well, do, do you know what? I, I've, got, I've got to say that I so I liked all of the references to the fifth season as well. When um, when Jenny did that super elastic punch out of uh, in, in the toilet, and isn't it nice finally to have people going to the toilet in Doctor Who? Good lord. Um, and her head extended out through the door. All I saw was Prisoner Zero. You know, yeah, that, me too. that whole silence will yeah, fall thing. It's like, yeah, let us live. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is getting really good. How long has this story been told to us for? <laughs> well, I think, I think that was a pure coincidence. And I think it may even be down to a little bit of um, the special effects team not being as imaginative or not realising. But uh, I, I, think, I think the scene was particularly creepy. Yeah, yeah. And it made me jump. Mm. Um, and there was a good line that Rory had um, about 10 minutes after that saying something like, no more expandable fist punches. <laughs> no more super elastic punches. <laughs> that was it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, it, but, it, but it made me laugh. I think the whole scene there really was to, um, again get the audience to empathise with Rory and I think this that's what this episode is all about, it's really trying for you to, it's really trying to get the audience to say well this Rory guy has developed so much and the reason why this story works for him so well is because he's been plastic for 2000 years so of course he's going to have an empathy uh, with the gangers that the other two aren't going to have instantly mm, mm, mm. Okay I, I, I do hear what you're saying it's um... I wanted to make a make a, a quick reference to the way the Doctor is behaving. I thought he was a bit power of the Daleks, um, you know, when he, just being the being the inspector and wanting to have a look around and not really. Uh, you love referencing that story, don't I you? I love Tom? any chance to slip in a power of the Daleks <laughs> reference. Tom will be there. I would, I, but I would kind of agree because I I did get a very Troughton feel to uh, Matt's performance this mm, week mm. that he was there in. I suppose to a certain extent we could call this a base under siege story. Absolutely. But it's under siege from within. And that's pretty much a standard for the Troughton era. Every second story was a base being mm. invaded by some alien nasty. But yeah. um, <clears throat> he, he really seemed to be channeling Troughton this way. Yeah, I agree with I, that. I agree with that. It's weird because I just didn't see that. In fact, I think this is probably the first story that I've just thought this is the 11th Doctor. And I, I see what you're saying. Oh, I, and really? I, I don't wow. disagree. Yeah, I just think this is the 11th Doctor. He doesn't seem to be, to me at least, channeling any of the other Doctors. And it, it's there, there was one there was one thing, however, that did remind me of Paul McGann's portrayal. And I really wish they'd taken the opportunity to insert this line. But just when he was changing his shoes or his boots, oh, which incidentally yeah. I think is going to be very very important next week, um, I, I think I would have just loved Matt Smith, Matt Smith to say. These shoes, they fit perfectly. Right, do you know um, you, that would have been so good? You've just hit on something which I, I was absolutely going to—I was absolutely going to reference later on. You're right. It's the thing. Is, we, we, we talk about the rewatchable, the rewatch value of uh, of Doctor Who in the in the 21st century. God, it's nice to be able to say that. Um, and it's the and it's the little things that make the difference. I mean, going back to last week, watching it—if you watch it through the first time round and you and you sit down and watch it again—you're prepared for things like Auntie's hand being the Corsair's hand. You're prepared for things like Uncle having two left feet, and you start you 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 notice it when you get when you get to go around the second time. And you're right, James. That thing about the boots yeah. is going to be very important in about either next week or very or, or later on in the season. Very, very oh, I think so. it's going to be next week. I yeah. think it'll be next week. It'll be a way that they distinguish the doctors. But yes, I mean yes. that that possibly 
is too obvious in the same way that we've been given no explanation for this chap continually sneezing. And I think that will probably be quite important once again next week. And I think this episode is littered with things that makes the viewer think, oh, I know what's going on. I know why the Doctor was killed in episode one now, because clearly, oh, there's going to be two Doctors. And for me, that is not it. That is Stephen Moffat being no, it's quite clever. This is a red herring. This is supposed to make you think... Oh, I see. So there is a doppelganger doctor running around the universe who needs to be stopped. He understands that. Um, and but there is there is a line. There is a line in the Impossible Astronaut that Amy comes out with just after the doctor's killed, and that is, oh, he must be a clone. He must be a copy. He must be a duplicate. And that's when you get the elder Canton saying, "No, this is not a copy. That is the doctor." But didn't the doctor say this... that, the, that those that those copies aren't copies? They are it's who a... they are. If that was the case, there is no point to having that exchange between Amy and Canton in the Impossible Astronaut. It also put it this way: the clone is the cl- it's like the mad, it's like um, people who are unfortunately insane, a bit like myself. You don't know you're mad, um, but it's you know, very much as as these as the clones in this week's episodes were saying: they're not clones, they're they're real. And that was the whole that, that was the whole thing with Jen. You know, when she's crying and talking about being lost on the moors, she's like, it, I, I, I might I'm not a spare part. I'm not a tool. I am this person. So, so you think they're pulling a sixth sense on us? In what way? Well, in as much as the people we see in the sixth sense are dead, and we only find that out until the end. Oh, sorry, if you haven't seen the sixth sense, I've just ruined it for you. But, no, no, uh, no, no, I, 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 no, I know, I know, I know the movie. <laughs> but, uh, but this time, the people we're seeing and are assuming are real humans mm. aren't. They're gangers, and it's the other way around. I mean, I, I've got to be honest with you. I don't think that's the case. If if it, if they pulled a Bobby Ewing on us, I um, it, oh, it, well, it's all a dream. Yeah, then I, no, the BBC, no, I, I, so. I would be heading the crowd with the flaming torches. To be honest with you, <laughs> I I don't think that's going to happen merely because of that one brief and I'll use the word again shoehorn scene of Amy seeing um, eye patch lady. Mm. She didn't seem to be sleeping when she was searching the castle. <laughs> I, I, I don't no. think she fell asleep. Do you know so. that woman was actually credited with a name in episode two? Kavarian. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a spoiler, which is why I don't mind mentioning it. Yeah. But she was actually credited with a name, um, as I said, as far back as Day of the Moon. But we're, no, but okay. we're being told all the things that we need to be told in order to understand the story. It's just quite subtle. I mean, the, what was um, the Curse of the Black Spot told us about um, two things existing in the same physical space but in different dimensions. Um, the Doctor's wife told us about a, 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 a bubble universe, if you like, something existing on the side of ours that you could just slip backwards and forwards between. So it seems clear to me that um, Madame Kaverian or Eyepatch Lady or whatever we want to call her um, is effectively in a bubble universe just opening and closing a window looking at Amy. It's, that, that, that would seem to, to fit in with the way that we're being told the story. I could be wrong, but I don't feel like I am. No, it's possible. We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Can, can I ask the pair of you a question sure. um, that takes us back to the actual story that we saw in, um, oh. in this episode? Why were they pumping acid? What was it for? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe part two might explain it. I or, think it has to, um, because it's such a fundamental plot element here. Hmm. That there's got to be a higher purpose. There's got to be a higher purpose, or there's got to be a main reason as to why people on the mainland, uh, as it was referred to, needs this highly, highly toxic, corrosive acid. And uh, yeah, you don't have to hide. Please trust me. I'm the doctor. Where's the real clean shit thing? What have you done with her? 
That's it, good. You remember. This is only flesh, the early stages of the technology. So much to learn. Doctor, what's happened to her? She can't stabilize. She's shifting between half-formed and full-formed, for now at least. We are living? <laughs> Let it go. Dr. Rory. Rory? Rory? Hey, Rory. Rory! Always with the Rory! I've got my kooky theory that I'm dying to tell you. Can I tell please, it now? Please. Can I push the button? Can I push the button? Press the button. Doing. Okay. Press the button. James Press is... the button. I've pushed it. I've pushed it. <laughs> Press it again. <laughs> kooky theory. Of the week. There we are, pushed. Right, James's <laughs> kooky theory of the week. Are you ready? Go. I think we've just seen in this episode the genesis of the Santarans. That's it. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I'm stunned. Can we play the kooky theme again? <laughs> is that too kooky? Is that too kooky? Um, I, it, it's... It, 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 it is, but it isn't, because I did think Santarans when I saw their... Um, protection suits I thought yes did they nick that off a of Sontaran and the way that they walk it's very very new series Sontaran oh James that's good that's I, very I think good this is why people are talking about game changing and I, I think Moffat is going to go somewhere that no other writer has ever gone we know a little bit about the genesis of the Daleks we know a little bit about the genesis of the Cybermen in two different universes no one's really talked about how Sontarans came about Look at the gangers. Look at the gangers. It's them and us. It's them and us. There's an inherent aggressive and hostile trait to their characters very soon after they were created. The way that they walk, the way that they are, I just think we may have seen a genesis of the Sontarans. I, I liked very much that it was a haunted house story. Um, because, you know, it, it's absolutely perfect. There, there was a slight, I did get a slight feeling about a monastery. As soon as you say monastery and you hear, I think, headless monks, angels, but that might just be me with an overactive <laughs> imagination. Um, but no, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was a beautiful setting. I thought the production values were, were gorgeous. I liked, it, and in terms of the story, I liked that even so far into the future, humans are still dirty and acquisitive and selfish and still have the things that, that still have the same fears and desires that make them human. You know, wanting to go home for, uh, for, for your man's son's birthday was quite lovely. But the colours of it, and also, more than anything else for me this week, the sound of it too. Yeah, um, the music was brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I've I got the feeling that a lot of the, although it's very much, it's easily recognisable as Murray Gold, it felt a lot like Dudley Simpson's uh, music from uh, the, the, the mid-70s. The, the themes were great. I loved, the, I loved the backward music when, the gang, when some of the ganglers were talking. Um, and I also liked, and I might be inventing this, but I also liked the, the use of You Don't Have to Say You Love Me uh, as a tune as well. Because if we think about it, what, what, how does that, how does that, the song is about, look, you don't have to say you love me, but I do need you, which is pretty much what's going on with the, the originals and the gangers. And the line, and the line inside, the, inside the song, you don't have to say you love me, just be close at hand. Um, there seemed to be, until they were Frankenstein-like, um, given, given independence, this need for the gangers and the operators to be very close to each other as if they were forklift trucks. The only other thing I would say about all of this is I personally get very... Ever since 1981, as soon as the Doctor starts climbing anything high, I get really nervous. 
I wouldn't worry about it. It was established in, you know, David Tennant's era that he can jump out of spaceships, go through <laughs> glass rooms, fall on the floor, pick himself up and go, He's Superman oh, now. God. But a little bit of radiation, my God, he's got to regenerate. <laughs> well, yeah, we're not going to get into this. Actually, yeah, look, very, very quickly, the fourth Doctor died of entropy, not of a fall. Moving on. But um, <laughs> you know, there is actually, I don't, I don't know if... What? The, well, the fourth, doc, what? the fourth Doctor didn't die of a fall. He died because the... Yes, he did. No. He did die of a fall. Yes, it's what, it's what fans try to retcon to make it sound a little bit better. It's entropy pretty. was the season 18 arc, certainly, but... Mm. It had nothing to do with it regenerating, I don't think. Oh, we've just got a whole other episode worked out right there, guys. Look there <laughs> okay, sounds great. <laughs> uh, b- 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 before I hand over, um, there, there is a book that um, some fans probably may know, in fact, you guys probably know it as well, may, may know it as well um, by, by a guy called Michael Marshall Smith called Spares. Um, and it's just. It's it's a slightly it, it's the same idea but slightly different in as much as uh, in the future if you're rich enough you can have a spare version of yourself grown so if anything strange you get if you get diseased or a limb gets broken or anything strange starts to happen they can just go to the spare cut off the bit that's, that's needed and stick it in you um, you know so much better than trying to find a donor you are the donor um, and the and the book turns on the idea that the spares do actually have independence, do actually have <clears throat> a right to be considered as individuals because they are they may be a cutting that's taken from the original, but they are, to all intents and purposes, people. And the image I, I, I got of a spare when I was reading the book was very much um, the image of these gang uh, the, the, these gangers present, a bit like Voldemort I, as I well. I think there's so many books and stories that you could say had an influence on this episode. I mean, iRobot is another. Yeah, yeah. And, th- th- you know, it's... I, I try to leave them at the door almost. I mean, I can't help but notice yeah. the, the, the influences. But um, there was a time, and the only time when I've really gone to town on it was within Planet of the Dead, because it basically was uh, a Frankenstein's monster of everybody else's ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this, this doesn't offend anywhere near as much. And when you, I think, when you consider that so many fans went into this viewing thinking, okay, Matthew Graham fear her <laughs> mm. uh, this was a massive massive improvement on that I mean everyone knows Matthew Graham can write well I mean you, yep. if you look at um, Ashes to Ashes Live on Mars and uh, there's some other things that he's done as well that are really <laughs> really really very very good yep. and I just think fear her didn't do him justice I'm very glad that the opening to this two-parter because let's not forget this is only the opening part of the story um, is, it was very 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 strong Did we have any thoughts about the supporting cast? I, I found it very hard to separate Marshall Lancaster's character from Chris in Life on Mars and playing the same Ashes character. to Ashes. <laughs> well, pretty much. The, the performance wasn't really changed in any way, shape or form. Um, but the others were just okay. I mean, they put in perfectly passable performances. I didn't think anyone was outstanding. I was wondering where I'd seen that guy before. I was wondering, have I seen that guy before? And oh my God, I'm trying to figure it it's out. It's his voice um, that's so distinctive. Mm. Yeah, it, it was the face I kept looking and going, I've seen that guy somewhere before. But now you've pinned it, life on Mars. I, I didn't really worry about the characterisation because they seemed a little bit interchangeable to me to a certain extent. Mm. It, I mean, especially those three ones that really didn't have much involvement in the main plot. Mm. Um, what interested me more was watching when all the doppelgangers showed up and the subtle ways that they were uh, clothed and dressed differently to each yeah. other. Like the guy who, who, who was talking about getting back for his, uh, I think, son's birthday. Yeah. 
the the real one had his wedding ring around his uh, neck. The other one didn't. Yep. Uh, the oh, the guy well from done. Life on Mars. The doppelganger had his uh, coat zipped up. The real one didn't, yep. or, or vice versa, or something. So there there was some interesting differences between the the real and the in the inverted commas fake mm. uh, person. And I was wondering whether they were going to actually be utilising that at all, whether there was going to be some confusion, maybe even in the second episode, as to who was the real and who was not, and, and using that type of thing. And, and for me, that even seemed to extend, or, or be even telegraphed a little bit, I think, with um, Matt losing his shoes. Because as soon as he lost his shoes, I thought, ah, of course. Yeah. that's going to be a way <laughs> that we're going to see the difference between him and the doppelganger doctor at the end of the episode, yeah. or now the... Uh, Second episode. See, I'm tempted now to want to go back to... Well, mind you, I suppose if we, if we went back and watched episode one, they'd both be wearing the same boots because our Doctor wouldn't have lost his boots yet and Doctor who gets shot would still be in clone boots if he was indeed a clone. Um, do you have any thoughts about this theme about pain making you stronger and, and, the, and the things which are painful actually going towards defining you as a person. I mean, I'm thinking critically of the scene where Jen is saying, oh, it's me, it's me, it's me. And at the end of it, it she's, she, she, uh, she's a lot more fixed in, who, in terms of who she, uh, in, as a clone, in terms of who she is. Um, not, not hugely. I have okay. to say, not hugely. I, th- I think she is a vehicle for driving Rory closer to the audience. It's great. Oh, do you know, I, 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 it's nice to be connected to characters but when she started fancying Rory and uh, and, and that was good and Amy's yeah, giving it what are you doing what are you, what are you doing it's like, it's like yeah. yeah go on have some <laughs> have some no, of that I, I agree <laughs> and I'm moving further and further away from Amy you know certainly from my fan engagement she's but I'm beginning to think this is on purpose Trev of course it is um, and it's, it's funny actually um, and, and guys we've had so much feedback concerning Trev's very strong opinions on Amy over the last couple of podcasts but Trev <laughs> you've absolutely polarised our audience you've got some people saying Trev you've never spoken so much sense and you've got others saying Trev what planet are you living on there's no one uh, actually fits in you know in between those two that's extremes. what I'm here for so, so, <laughs> so well done on that. but I'm beginning to think that you've picked mission accomplished <laughs> oh, God, yes. I'm, I'm beginning to think that you actually picked up on something perhaps inadvertently that is really important to this story I think Moffat is playing with the fans perception of Amy in more ways than one and one minute he wants you to buy into her and actually care what happens to her. And now he seems to be encouraging us to actively move away. And Tom, the words you used were access point and Rory is the access point. That uh, scene you mentioned there, Tom, about, you know, when he's comforting Jenny and he gives Amy a look like sort of saying, is this OK? Mm. And I instantly thought, who gives a bugger what Amy thinks, Rory? Just do it. I mean, you're, you're doing the right thing. You're not trying yeah. to, yeah. you know, cop a feel or anything like that. I mean, who cares what Amy he's thinks. He's a nurse, he's um, a professional it, carer. It made me really sympathise for Rory, because Rory's so wound up that he thinks every time he touches another woman that this psychopath Amy's going to have a go. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think that um, Rory being a nurse, Tom, has got anything to do with that scene. I think it was all to do with his empathising of her situation mm. being a... Oh, being made know, of plastic. Being, being plastic for 2,000 years himself. Well, here's the thing. The line from uh, that character is like, I noticed your eyes straight off. They, cut the, you know, they, they were kind eyes. And I, I think Rory's strength is that he cares. And that's the whole thing. You know, f- from 
from the introduction of the character when he's in his nurse's uniform. It's nice to see Matt Smith joining William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, Tom Baker and Peter Davison as being uh, being the five doctors who have actually had doppelganger stories. It's it's, it's good to see that. It, it's good to oh, see yes. a trope of Doctor Who being pushed into the 21st century series again. You said it. You said the T word. Trope. Every single Doctor Who podcast at this moment in time is using <laughs> trope. Right, okay. And do you know what? Let's... I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> so I couldn't use it, but now I can. Uh-huh. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> but, no, that, that, but that's it. it, it it's, not, you know, it's nice that Matt Smith, he's clearly he's, he's one of a very, a very li- a limited club of actors to play the lead role in Doctor Who. But even within that, he's one of uh, a limited number of doctors to play his own doppelganger, to play a doppelganger on screen. Okay, and on that note, then I think we'll hand over to to Mark Burbridge, who again has become our established um, immediate reviewer. Now you realise, Mark, you're going to have to send him feedback after the next two episodes as well, because you've you know you set the benchmark now. So uh, anyway, here's what Mark <laughs> has to say. Hi, chaps, it's Mark. I've just finished watching the Rebel Flesh. Um, I quite enjoyed all the running through corridors and things like that, but there were several aspects of the story which really didn't work for me. Firstly, there was the flagging up of the Doctor's doppelganger. You could see that from the moment he walked into the room. He was touching it, there was some weird vibrating thing going on. It was just so obvious it was going to happen. And I was just waiting for that penny to drop. But the main thing that really bothered me with it was the whole premise of the setup. They're supposedly on an island in the middle of nowhere with a monastery. And they're pumping acid around for no apparent reason. This acid's so corrosive it can disintegrate the ground down to a depth of five feet. Yeah, I wasn't tremendously pre- impressed with the with the setup. They could have had just the flesh, and the story would have worked, and it just wouldn't have quite have stretched credulity quite that much. Basic idea of the story was very Cyrony. I posted on the. Doctor Who podcast notice boards um, today as a bit of a joke and made some reference to the opening credits of Battlestar Galactica. The visual mise-en-scene of the thing, to be a bit poncy, the visual look of it was almost identical to the Rod Moore series with the Cylon control units in the um, bath of liquid. When these doppelgangers appeared, it was almost like that. The way that they could die and just be reborn and have all the memories, it was like that. I just found the whole thing rather unsatisfying. Well, thanks, Mark. I think we can pretty much say we disagree with every single sentence in your feedback. And that is a rare (laughs) achievement for a DWP feedback. Well done, Although, sir. that said, I, see what you're, I think I see where you're coming from with the, with the Battlestar Galactica colouring, because in, that, in, in Battlestar Galactica, the future is dirty and the colours are muted and it's, it's, uh, it, everything seems slightly subversive. We're not, we're not sure of each other's uh, uh, motives. Plus, yeah. we've got clones in there as well. So I'm going to stop talking because I'll, I'll talk myself into agreeing with you. <laughs> Just because every show doesn't hire a cleaner, it's suddenly got to be like Blade Runner and Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's the truth, isn't it? The, the fu- the future is dirty. I mean, if you look at the what we look at the visions of the future that we saw in the 1960s, it was always white and clean and clever, apart from maybe the macro terror. Um, but the, you know, the the most common depiction of the future now is that is seems to have started with Alien, in as much as it doesn't work, it's broken. Well, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. 
And I agree, and I think that's why A Christmas Carol works so well, because it was so weird to see a clean Starship Enterprise-like bridge on a on a spaceship in Doctor Who. And yeah, I, I agree, but generally speaking, it, it was something that Russell T. Davis started, really, mm. is that spaceships are lumbering factories in space, mainly because they're filmed in factories in Cardiff. <laughs> wow. But I think, guys, we're, uh, we're uh, losing sight of the clear fact that uh, Mark is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, never mind, Mark. Despite the fact you uh, us not agreeing with you on this occasion, please don't let that put, <laughs> put you off sending in your thoughts about the next two episodes and indeed the rest of you. And, and again, you've been very, very prolific in feedback, but it's been predominantly email feedback, which we can't use instantly. And most of the time we have to edit it. So audio feedback is by far the preferred format please we can comment on that and if you are going to send an email keep it to a couple of lines because you've got a much better chance of one of us reading it out then also actually if you do like um writing please come and join us in the forums uh, for the doctor mm. who podcast um I, I myself have been spending a bit more time in there and it's actually really good fun you know you, you get to uh, share opinions theories viewpoints just lots lots of fun talking to other fans of doctor who and with the Doctor Who podcast, uh, and having a great time discussing this wonderful, fantastic show. So, if you, you know, if you if you fancy sending a longer, uh, a longer written communication, throw it into the forums. You're more than welcome. It'd be great to hear from you. Well, I think that's time for the six of us to uh, close up the camper van for the evening. We we've talked about Rebel Flesh. We're all of the same collective mind, and uh, it's time to say goodbye. So goodbye, James. Goodbye, Trev. Goodbye, Tom. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, Tom. Uh, who the hell's that kid? Bye. Goodbye, Jane. Goodbye, Trev. Who's he? And goodbye to both of me. We'll see you all very, very soon, guys. Bye-bye. Bye for now. <laughs> that was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.